24 minutes after 6, our guest is in the building for famous Fresh Fridays. Lindue Mazibuko, Harvard University graduate and resident fellow at the Harvard Institute of Politics. She was born in Swaziland and raised in KZN. She's an academic, former politician, musician, and founder of her Apolitical Academy. She became a household name as the parliamentary leader of the Democratic Alliance. The position made her the first non-white person to lead the DA in parliament. Lindua was named South Africa's most influential woman in 2012. And contrary to a popular belief, she was made by her parents and not by the madam. <laughs> Thank you, Fresh. Ladies Good and morning. gentlemen, Lindua Masipuko <laughs> is in the building. Yes, sir. Hi, guys. How are you? <laughs> I'm good. I'm so happy to be here. Although I'm not a morning person, so it's going to take Don't me a while. Don't say that. Don't say it. People will accuse you of being lazy. <laughs> Mm. I work through the night, if that's any consolation. You know, you know what blows my mind? Mm. The tiger we've seen in Parliament and this demure woman sitting in front of us. <laughs> How is it the same woman? I know. Yeah, most, uh, most uh, extroverts are just introverts who are, I get, who yes. are masquerading because the work requires it of them. But yes. actually, they would, they, they would rather not attract quite so much attention. So it's an ambivert. It's is that an, what it's called? It's an extrovert who, by who, who at their core, you'd rather be at home, quiet with the people Not you know. Forever. Yes. At but some point, I'd have to go out and enjoy things, but um, yeah, uh, I have to switch between the two. How old were you when you moved from Swaziland? Six. Tell it was us. In 1986. Do you have Swaziland memories? I have so many Swaziland memories. Please share your fondest. I miss Swaziland. I mean, look, it, it's a difficult place. It's it's obviously easy to have nice memories if you're from like a middle class family. Yes, 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 yes. So I'll never, you know, imply that it's kind of a paradise, but it was for me as a child. Mm. We, you know, we travelled a lot. Our father worked for the bank, um, and my mother worked in refugee camps. She ran refugee camps during the Mozambique um, civil war. Yes, mm. yes, yes. Uh, on the border. So so we traveled from Manzini to Mbabane to Pigs Peak, uh, you know, to Ntlangano. Um, almost every 18 months we were moving to a new city. Oh. And we lived in the, you know, in the village, in the city. Um, yeah, we did not... South Africa was a real... It was a real shock to the system mm. because we didn't have... We, we spoke the same languages, but we didn't have the same kinds of mm. divisions. And I was too mm. young to understand why we were in Swaziland. It was because my parents, grandparents had self-exiled when the Nats came to power mm. in 1949. So my memories of Swaziland are wonderful. And the, the, the shock of the move from Big Bend to uh, Emlazi in 86 is not, it's not something I'll forget very easily. Yeah. What was the first shock when you guys relocated? Um, it was um, the segregated buses. I have a very, very vivid memory of having to take two different buses to get to school. The green mm. bus, green mamba, sure. and then from there, a blue blue bus that would take me, and it was full of abilung. And I was like, what? Something, I could tell something was off. There was a disconnect. Off. Yeah, something was off. There was just, Everyone was one color on one bus. Everyone was one color on the other bus. Um, but I suppose, you know, I suppose when you get older, sometimes you can retrofit your memories. But I remember feeling like there was something off about those uh, two buses. And I also wasn't allowed to sit on the blue bus. Mm. Ah, Abilung yes. would let me sit. And, and I'm a child. As a child, I didn't understand, I understand why. Mm. Yeah, I didn't understand why. I was only allowed to sit if the single seat at the front was empty. And my mother says I would come home and tell her the story. And mm. she would she would try not to cry because she knew what was happening. Mm. But I could, I'd say nobody would let me sit next to me, them today. Everyone put their bag down and the bus driver wouldn't make them move mm. the bag. And... But and she she says it broke her heart every time I told her that story. That, 
does it not blow your mind, though, that even at the height of apartheid, I don't care what you think of black people as an adult, a child is a child. Mm. A child is a child. But you, you do that to a child and you see nothing wrong with it. And you yeah. don't, it yeah. It boggles the mind. Yeah. Yeah, and I, you decide from the from birth, Gutilengane is is worthless. Mm. Yes. Yeah. and that it's it's a contagion it's to a, it's your child. It's a little child. monkey. It's a little yeah. monkey. Exactly. Yeah, I, 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 it 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 is shocking, and I I have to constantly remind myself that we were not raised in the same home because what we're speaking about is natural to us Mm. but to other people it's not a natural thing it's taught behavior and i'm wondering to myself when you were growing up as a child did your parents often say oh she's so talkative she's so this we expect her to be this because my parents said that about me that oh she'll be in government or a lawyer she's so talkative yeah so mina i was a musician when i was younger but I remember after my, my father was assassinated in um, 92. And after his assassination, Emlazi, I vowed to become a criminal attorney. Mm. And Vel, I was always a very talkative child. I was always opinionated. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Disrespectful. I like to answer back. <laughs> you um, ask why. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, I asked too many questions. So, but my, my parents, even before my father's death, my parents were always very supportive of my questioning. So... I never, I never had that tamped down in me. But yes, it was, it was a family narrative. Utilindi was, she talks too much. And uh, and we're going to talk more about that later. <laughs> did, did you guys hear that? Why? The, the chorus in the traffic. She speaks Venek. <laughs> did you leave your Woolworths water at home, Lindiwi? Oh, too early. Lindiwi. I think I'm the only one who heard that. <laughs> Good morning. Time for your headlines and SABC Sports. 6.43, we are hanging out with Lindiwe Mazibugo. Born in Swaziland at the age of six, uh, they relocated and uh, moved to KZN. Uh, They lived uh, out Mlazi. And uh, we were speaking about segregated buses at the time you were a child and didn't understand. But you also made mention of your dad's assassination, Mm. his murder. Mm. How old were you when your dad was taken away from you? I was 12. Yeah. Yeah. What do you remember about the day it happened? I remember, um, I remember, and this is, I mean, this is a hectic memory, but I remember I broke something in Lin and... um, he didn't have time to belt me. Sure. So he said, um, and I remember wishing he wouldn't come back. Wow. And then he never came back. Mm. And the person who came back was my mother and she was covered in blood. You know, oh, in 1992, you know, there was no, there was no net care. There were no ambulances. Mm. You know, a man was shot by two kids with big guns. Um, nobody came to help. Uh, that famous Logishi uh, solidarity, no, everyone scattered. Mm. And my mum had to, she had to pick him up, put him in the back of his van and drive him to Prince Mshieni Hospital where wow. he died. Wow. So, yeah, that, that changed my life forever. Do we know why your dad was taken out? I don't know the details, no. I mm. know he was politically active. I know the Nats were paying um, and arming um, you know, the IFP and the ANC and against each other mm. and kids against each other. Um, my, I think my mother considered going to the TRC in 96, but I also think it was painful for mm. us as a family. So um, I suppose, I, I don't know, my therapist, who's a wonderful woman, likes to tell me that um, 
maybe that's one of the reasons I went into politics. It's just mm. an endless search for justice. Sure. Um, yeah. I was just wondering, how did you settle that with yourself? A lot of people have lost parents mm. or, or any loved one for that matter. Mm. And it isn't violent. And even, even when it's not violent and it's just of natural causes, yeah. it's still something you just don't get over. So how have you settled that for yourself, considering also what you just shared with us mm. about what you were thinking at the time as a yeah. child and where you are today now as an adult? Yeah. Like, yeah, one of, I mean, first of all, I mean, as I speak casually about therapy, let me just let me just give it a punt because everyone, everyone, especially in a society like ours that's traumatized, who can have access to a therapist must get it, whether it's a social mm. worker in your mm. community or some, some, some mental health professional. Mm. So, um, yeah, one of the things I learned in therapy is that when you're a child, you think everything happens because of you. So when your parents get divorced and you're 10 years old, you think, oh, I'm the reason they, get, mm. they got divorced. And mm. so it took me a long time as an adult to work through the fact that as a child, I thought it was my fault, mm. which, which is silly. But as a child, you think everything is about you. Sure. And it sticks, it sticks with you. So I think, yeah, the younger you are, when you suffer losses or you suffer pain or things uh, don't you know, turn out as they should if you're you know, sexually assaulted, if you're abused, whatever it may be, whatever trauma you experience, often you center yourself in that trauma and you believe you are somehow responsible for it. So I think that's one of the challenges of losing a parent young. I think I think the other challenge, you know, even though I have three wonderful brothers, um, I didn't have enough memories of my father in my adulthood as a woman. Mm. My mother and I are very close, very, very close. But I, I suppose I never had that sort of older male mm. role model, mm. um, which I'm sad that I missed out on. Sure. Yeah. Earlier on, you said that the, the death of your father changed you forever. Yeah. What does that change look like, practically? Um, I learned that the world is not safe. Mm. Nothing is safe. Nothing mm. is forever. Nothing is guaranteed. Um, and I also learned that um, suffering is a perennial thing. Like, people go through it every day. Sure. And you don't actually know what people are going through. Um, you know, you pass them in the street, you fight with them in the office, you whatever. You have road rage with them, but you actually don't know what they're carrying. Mm. So I think in my in my young years, it instilled in me a deep sense of how unjust the world is and sure. a desire to correct that. And then I think as I've gotten older, it's, yeah, it's just reminded me that you can never know what people are, what pain people are dealing with. Um, mm. And Six, that kindness is, you know, yeah. a virtue. K- kindness is everything. Mm-hmm. Especially when you don't know the person. Especially mm. what, when you don't. Uh, yeah. Yeah. 6.48, we're hanging out with Lindy Wemazibuko. It's Famous Fresh Fridays on Metro FM. If you have any questions, any comments, any moments maybe you remember of her in Parliament, share with us. Lindy Wemazibuko is in the building. She is our Famous Fresh Fridays guest. Lindy, I'm so glad that um, you know you've opened up about your your personal life and your upbringing because mm. you picked up on something critical about not knowing, mm. and I think you're one of the the people who is quite public that that is misunderstood. Would you say that that is the case about you? Do you think that there's this perception of a certain Lindy that is not who you are? 
Look, look, I'm not going to play the victim and say, oh, I'm so misunderstood. <laughs> I wish people knew who I am deep down inside. Like I chose... you all got to know <laughs> me. <laughs> you would love me. You would love me. <laughs> I think being mis- misunderstood is part of the devil's bargain you strike when you choose a public life, right? People yeah. will think things about you. What they often do is they project themselves onto you. So whatever mm. issues they have, whatever worries they have, anxieties, they'll project them onto you. And then you become like a lightning rod and you, you, know, you carry a lot of electric current for other people but of course no one can possibly truly know you we can't always even know ourselves so Mm. so what is projected on you when you were for example body shamed in parliament or there was an issue with you wearing a red jacket which for me just complete i'm just like is your argument that weak because i get that all the time in fact let's go back there point of order that is that before the member continues can she just explain to the house what she's done to her hair Now, the Honourable Mazibuko may be a person of some weight, but is she of some stature? Thank you. The Honourable Lindiwa Mazibuko has bad fashion taste and has been arrested by the police. By the fashion police, blame Zuma. So everything must be blamed on Zuma. And this is happening while you're asking critical questions. Yeah. Is, is it triggering listening to that? Sorry to, to cut you. I was just, I was trying to figure out if there's <laughs> any trigger, because it's triggering me. It's not triggering me. It doesn't trigger me anymore. I've had to listen to that clip a few times. Mm. Um, what's happening there is men projecting their insecurities onto me. Yeah. Um, either I'm much younger or I'm making sense and the party they're in is actually coming undone. Mm. There's some sense of exposure of nakedness. And so they want to make me feel as naked. Mm. Yeah, well, they want to make me feel as scrutinized and as, you know, small perhaps as they're feeling considering what's, what is so obvious about the current political system. You know, I can't speak for the opposition chief whip. He was the IFP chief whip. Um, I think his name was Kwes Fanamadva who was commenting on my hair. I think he thought he was being funny. And I don't know. I just, I, I, I accept that when you have a public life, I was. I remember when people were giving Trevor Noah tr- grief for buying a really expensive apartment mm. in New York City, and I thought, like, what is he supposed to do? Mm. Is he supposed? Where, where should to, he live? Should he go to the Bronx? Because you have financial anxiety. Must he now, to satisfy you, mm. live his life? So I think a lot of people will project what's going on with themselves mm. onto somebody who they think they know or think they understand, and I think um, that's part of the mm. that's part and parcel of the job. You are human, so there's no way some of that didn't hurt at the time. No. When it did hurt, Mm. who did you turn to? Where do you go? Mm. How do you unwind when it is hurting? So one of the reasons I had to leave politics when I did was because I was starting to change. Mm. I was starting to become very, you know, I was was adding layers of armor every day. Mm. And I, you know, Terrible things would happen to me and then media would ask me to analyze this terrible thing that had happened to me on the spot, you know? Yeah. You've just been You've been assaulted. How do you assaulted. feel? How do you feel about it? Give us a, a, a whatever. And so my response was to say, oh, it's like water off a duck's back. Mm. Oh, I didn't, it didn't touch me. I mean, I'm just focused on the issues. And after a while, that becomes true. Yeah. Sure. After a while, because you have to be inviolable, you know, you, you know, stop feeling invulnerable. You stop having feelings, yes. and you st- or you start compartmentalizing them in a way that there's a danger they'll come out somewhere else. So, I could feel myself changing from someone who's perfectly sensitive and um, authentically emotional to somebody who f- constantly had to pretend to be this iron woman. Mm. And I think that's the paradox of being a woman in politics. I, you know, I, I'm not going to do politics again unless I can be myself, and unless. I can say, like, quite honestly, that was, you know, 
an incredibly hurtful thing mm. in addition to being completely without substance but at the time I was young there people expected me to fail they wanted me to fail mm. they were rooting for my failure and so I wasn't going to give them that and the only way to answer that question how does this make you feel on the spot my response was oh I didn't feel a thing it's mm. nothing I understand and that, that was that's not the way you poly- it's not who I am mm. it's not, and, and it doesn't it doesn't do much for people who experience that maybe in corporate essay mm. or who experience it in the media or who yes. experience it elsewhere you're not bullied everywhere. setting a great example sure. by saying oh you know I'm, I'm, I'm toughing it out mm. I think it's far better now that I'm older to say authentically this is how I feel about this Mm. while at the same time analyzing why it's wrong I think later on I would really love to unpack that a little bit because your role is so critical as a young female I mean I would look at you and and say wow the fact that you were the one who said I'm going to be the one going through the ceiling Mm. it means there is no one you can phone to say what do I do when this happens and it's it's um, I found myself in those spaces and the reality is we talk a good game about wanting young black women to lead when they do it Hashem we Mm. try and tear them down so we'll talk about that uh, Mm. when we come back one minute to seven we're hanging out with Lindy Mazibugo this is Famous Fresh Fridays it is time for the Fresh Kids Quiz 13 minutes after seven in about 20 minutes uh, we celebrate the weekend in the mix with DJ Kent. Right now, we're celebrating Lindiwe Mazibugo. She's our famous Fresh Fridays guest. We're going to play Are You Smarter Than a Primary School Kid? Yay! Can't wait! How, sm- how smart were you as a child on a scale of 1 to 10? I was not that... I mean, look, I was smart. I just, you know, maybe I didn't apply myself in all the things I should have. I liked things that came easily to me and I disliked things that were difficult. As an adult, I'm the other way around now. And matric? How did your matric result look like? Oh, they were bad. Really? I got an D for geography. Yeah. A whole half. And I got an A for Afrikaans. Oh! Wow. F for Afrikaans. I'm sorry. No, no, no. An A. An A. A Steve Hoffmeyer A. A Steve Hoffmeyer um, I got a B for maths. Um, I got a couple of C's. It wasn't great. It was just, you know, average exemption. No, that that's decent though. You had a I distinction. I just made the exam the exemption. I had one distinction, and it was Afrikaans. And, Afrikaans. And it didn't it didn't help you at Harvard. <laughs> it, was, it didn't help no. you. <laughs> it could have. You could have done your your paper in Afrikaans. No, no, no. Um, I don't remember much. <laughs> no, 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 no. no. <laughs> <laughs> when in doubt, do who not keckle? When in doubt, trap the fanfare gelekken. Jelle met jelle Afrikaans kan ons spelen alsjeblieft. Let's play. Are you smarter than a primary school kid? Good morning, Kui. Yes. How are you, Kui? I'm good, and you? We are good. How old are you? I'm eight, and I'm turning nine on Tuesday. Oh, happy birthday for Hello. Tuesday. Aunt Lindy is here. What's your first question for her? My first question is, how many parties are contesting this year's national election? Mm. Mm. Good question. Yes, Lindy What a great question. Mm. So I know it's a lot, and <laughs> I'm going to have to go for I'm going to have to punt this one and say 120. Corey? No. How What's many? the answer? The answer is 48. Oh. 48? <laughs> Kui, what's That's your next question? <laughs> My next question is, how many goals did Ronaldo score in the 2018 World Cup? <laughs> 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 I mean, what if I just don't know? Uh, uh, you answer, guess. May, may I describe the look on her face? <laughs> When she heard that question, she had that home alone aftershave look with her hands on her face. Okay, Ronaldo, 2018 World Cup. Was the World Cup last year? Yeah. 
Okay. Yes. <laughs> Thank you. Um. So, I mean, I would say maybe 15 is a lot. No. No. How many? Four. Uh, <sighs> yeah, he underperformed. Close. <sighs> anyway, last question, Kui. My last question is how many metropolitan cities does South Africa have? Oh, I know this one. <laughs> Buffalo City, Nelson Mandela Bay Metro, uh, Twane, uh, Johannesburg, Cape Town. What's the total? She's counting on her fingers. Six. Is no. It? No. no. What do you How mean? many? How many? Eight. Oh. What are the other two? Oh, Mangaung. Yes. <laughs> is, Ki- is Kimberly a metro? I don't think Kimberly's a metro. <laughs> you lost. That's all that counts. That's all that matters. <laughs> is that you've got zero <laughs> out of three. Helen later is going to be on some. That's why we asked her to leave. <laughs> <laughs> Kui, thank you so much for playing with us. Uh, who do you want to say hello to? Your questions were brilliant. And Ekurleni. I want, Ekurleni. To, I want to say hello to my mom, Pinky, my dad, Lichi, and my little sister, and all my friends from Springville Primary School. Kui, oh. we love you and we love your mind. You must stay reading, stay learning as much as you can, okay? And stay woke. Yeah. <laughs> Yes. Exactly. Yes. We love walk. Ladies and gentlemen, Lindu Mazibuko is our famous Fresh Fridays guest. We are hanging out with uh, Lindu Mazibuko on Famous Fresh Fridays. Metro FM is where you're at. Lindu, uh, so earlier on I was asking you about being a young black female in a leadership position. Mm. And this obviously could apply to corporate South Africa, even mm. in the media industry. Mm. We talk such a good game. Mm. My experience has been we're not actually ready. That includes black woman supporting young black woman what was your experience being the ceiling breaker because even the body shaming was only directed at you it's not like <laughs> parliament's filled with supermodels in fact half the men are bigger than you and also my body is perfect <laughs> so <laughs> i did there's nothing to shame me for yes <laughs> so i um i don't know look i i think i mean i don't think it's quite right to say we're not ready mm. i do think we are I think the challenge is that we're trapped as the mo- at the moment as women between the need to stand out so that we can get ahead and the mm. need to support each other so that more of us can get ahead. And I think, you know, in feminist you know literature, there, there's talk about women who are the foot soldiers of patriarchy. Mm. Who, the gatekeepers. Well, and it go- it's everything from your boss who undermines you in the workplace who's a woman mm. to grandmothers who perform FGM on their own grandchildren, right? It's kind of, there's what quite a fe- female genital mutilation, right? You keep, you keep women... You keep women, you keep women trapped and subverted by the patriarchy because you were trapped and subverted by the patriarchy. So why should they have privileges that you don't have? So I think that's the challenge we face. But I don't think we lack the resources. Mm. I, I mean, we've got extraordinary women in leadership. We've got a new female head of the MPA. Mm. We've got extraordinary women in the judiciary, in politics, across political parties. You know, we've got people in business. We've got what's lacking is this mentality or say, I don't have to pull the ladder up now that I've made it to the top. I must actually extend it further down so more people can climb it. So um, I think that's a a far bigger challenge um, than any other. Given the example you were when you were in Parliament, Mm. how difficult was it to decide that I'm stepping away from this Mm -hmm. right now? Because for some, you were some sort of beacon. Yeah. Mm. 
I wrestled with that for months. I wrestled with it for a very long time. And in the end, I had to decide between my longevity in public leadership, my ability to carry on, mm. or the possibility that I would hit burnout, you know, a year after the 2014 or two years after the 2014 election. I also, you know, one of the things you do when you're a young person and you enter politics young is that you make a lot of personal sacrifices. Mm. So my personal life wasn't what I had hoped it would be. Mm. I had relationships that didn't stick because I was never home. Mm. Um, and I, ha I spent very little time with my family. I was a stranger in my own family. They only saw me on TV. My mother would know where I was in the country based on what she saw on ENCA or SABC News. So I, I had a lot of personal work to attend to as well sure. um and so that was a that was that was a straightforward decision just in terms of i don't want to burn out in the workplace mm -hmm. i don't want to have a nervous breakdown um but also the choices that stood before me you know the choice was to either keep going contest the leadership 31 years old or 34 at the time on your own or go go out take a break you know consolidate think about where you've come from what you want to do next go and live out in the world and then come back stronger and better. So for me, that was a pretty straightforward choice. But I, I wrestled with it. I wrestled with it for a long time, especially given the fact that, you know, a lot of people had a lot of expectations. Mm. But you can't fulfill expectations until you take care of yourself. Mm. And so I, I suppose I hoped, I, don't, I didn't know it, but I hoped that over time it would become clear to people why I had to do this, even if in the immediate aftermath of my announcement, it, people felt betrayed, people mm. felt wronged, fe yes. people like, why didn't you tell us, mm. um, et cetera. But it was a very meticulous process that I went through in order to make that decision. And if you don't feel perfect and complete, how can I perfectly and completely serve you? Hey. So, I mean, we're led by a lot of broken people, you know, yes. in society. Mm. Lots and lots of broken people. People have PTSD who, because they were beaten and raped in jail for mm. years. Yes. People, you know, people who are in abusive relationships, people whose finances are coming undone, people whose family life is non-existent. Mm. And we push them to keep leading and mm. to keep working instead of asking them to take a step back yeah. if they need to in order to take care of themselves. I remember doing a, a radio station interview on a, on a different station, which I won't name, with Minister Mutecha, and she mm. was saying that when I left for Harvard, you know, her first thought was about how for her uh, education is a dream deferred. She's the Minister of Education, mm. but she's mm. always wanted to go and do her wow. PhD. So deep. Wow. But her dreams are deferred because she is, you know, sitting, trying to run an education system mm. at national Serving. level. And mm. there isn't enough of a supply of, you know, new leaders to come and take her place. And so but, she must keep going back. Um, but is that the truth, though? Well, I mean, it was her truth. I'm not going to challenge her truth. Because I think we have enough young minds that could lead. Maybe it's the succession planning that's the issue. Look, I think the ANC has a very specific deployment strategy where, I th you know, many people I know and I'm friends with at the ANC will tell you that you get deployed. You don't choose where you go. Yes. Sure. You get called by the deployment committee and then you go. Mm. So there's a sense of powerlessness that I think doesn't exist in other political parties. Mm. Yes. Um, and uh, I think that powerlessness exists for women as well because yeah. they have to be at the sharp end mm. of the 50-50 policy, right? So if you've made a decision that you want to do something else with your life, but you also want to uphold gender equality mm. in the party, mm. you accept your deployment where you get it, wherever you get it to. And I think that's a different life uh, compared to maybe what other pe people in other political parties. That's the voice of Lindiwe Mazibugo. Famous Fresh Fridays on Metro FM at 7.30. Famous Fresh Fridays hanging out with uh, former politician Lindiwe Mazibugo. What we do with every Famous Fresh Fridays is we have an artist come in and uh, our artist is in the building. What's your name, sir? Silas Silas Mutsi from where? 
Silas Mus is originally from uh, a small town in Tabantu, Kumutlatla. Aha. But then currently now, Kimo Shawela. Why art? <sighs> I unfortunately have to say I need to express myself. Yes. Unlike other, you know, you know, creatives that express themselves through music, poetry, mm. you know, performance art. But then for me, it's a form of expression. Yes. That's where I communicate uh, with, you know, what is happening uh, with the world out there, what is happening, what happened also in my life as well. What do we call your style of art? I like it. Uh... Okay. Um, Does it have I, a name? Yeah, absolutely. Yes. <laughs> I think you guys can call it avant-garde. Avant-garde. Mm-hmm. Yes. Avant-garde is it's uh, it's it's normally an old term that is used to you know uh, describe using um, old style and putting them into a contemporary. Mm. Show. Ah, so, right. Yes. Where do people book you if we'd like to uh, maybe commission you? I mean, you've done a great portrait of Mama Winnie, of Madiba, it. Oliver mm. Dukuzi, Brahu. Uh, I love your art, man. Where do we find you online? Um, Online, you can find me on Facebook, uh, on Rasilas Mozi, and also Rasilas Mozi Artistry. And then also Instagram, you can find me on Rasilas Mozi underscore art. And then Twitter is at art underscore Silas. And also, I don't know if I can... even on also on you know via calls I'm also available okay What's 073-912-9278 Ras Silas Motsi thank you very much yes, Rasta sorry. give thanks he is a Rasta not to be confused with Rasta we have a que- uh, tweet from uh, King David mm. uh, what is Lindy Wear's advice to young people who want to be in hectic politics given the challenges that led her walkway mm. young people always complain that they are being excluded yet it would seem politics is anti-youth mm. lifestyle mm. and then another tweet from Bricks Lindy Mazibuko needs to come back to SA politics she has a strong leadership qualities and she's very influential we need women like her and advocate Tulima Donsela in leadership please uh, let those just uh, mellow in your mind and after this break, we'll come back with your responses. Former politician, former parliamentarian, Lindu Mazibugo is in the building. It is Famous Fresh Fridays, and uh, we have a call from Vela. Vela, morning. Thanks for holding. Fresh, how are you, sir? We are good. Lindu is in the building. Hi, Vela. Uh, yeah, Malindi, I've got one quick question for you now. Mm. Uh, since you grow up uh, being discriminated by the whites, mm. Yeah, mm. and now having to work with them uh, in the same office every day, how do you deal with it? Because my mom, when I was growing up, my mom was abused in front of me mm-hmm. by the uh, military police, uh, about, uh, mili- uh, which was called stability at that time. And mm. even today, I still struggle to find peace within myself. Mm. Every time mm. I see a white person taking advantage of a black person mm. or even myself, I just take it personal. So I, I just want to know, how do you deal with it? It's a powerful question. Please listen on the radio. Yeah. Okay. Thank you, Vela. So my mother likes to tell the story of when uh, during um, June 16, now Youth Day, um, we we weren't allowed to leave school. We weren't allowed to leave home, Emlazi, to go to school. I mean, mm. we were all supposed to boycott. Sure. And Mama was a nurse, right? Got my epaulets and a uniform to get to, to work every day. So she used to hide us in the boot of the car mm. and um, and get us through the barricade to school. 
And sometimes we'd have to stay at friends' houses um, mm. uh, in Glenmore, Glenwood, and you know, in the suburbs near school, for a week or two weeks until you know mm. we were able to travel in and out of Umlazi again. And she said we always did it at night or early in the morning. We would get in the boot of the car, me, my brother, and my sister, Sobatat, in mm. the boot, mm. um, and praying that we wouldn't be stopped and we wouldn't be searched. And once we made it through the barricade, we'd stop in Chatsworth, which was an Indian township, mm. as Kipa Putin and put us in the back seat because now mm. we mustn't worry the white people. Yes. We mustn't freak them out yes. by arriving in the boot. Mm. And then we'd get to Glenmore, which was less than 20 kilometers away. Mm. And while Umlazi was burning, Abelungu had their garages open. Mm. They were walking up and down the streets. They were walking their dogs in the middle of the night. And they f- fully had no idea what was happening. Mm. No, they had no idea. Mm. They w- heard that there was like violence or something was happening. Yeah, but the they natives fully, are restless. Mm. But there was like an invisible border, mm. right? Mm. And it wasn't invisible. It was, you know, it was maintained with, with repression and violence mm. that kept the, vi- kept the violence black on black and protected Abelungu. Mm. And whenever she describes that to me, you know, she uses it as an example to say, you know, I'm. I have many resentments about apartheid, but when people say they didn't know, I saw what they. I saw what that kind of mm. information blackout enabled white South Africans. It enabled them to live in a fantasy world mm. where this was something that was happening far away, even though it was actually only twenty kilometers mm. away. And so there's a kind of an information gap between people understanding what the experiences were of black South Africans under apartheid and what the reality was. And it's hard to explain in 2019 what it was like, how efficient Ubandlulula was, that it was able to protect them such that they could lie to themselves and say, it's Mm. not that bad, Mm. it's not that terrible. So whenever white people complain, why must everything be about race, blah, 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 you know, I'm tempted either to get angry on the one hand or on the other hand to remind them that they willingly... Why, sh- why shouldn't it be about race? Why, exactly. That they willingly participated because, I mean, not, nobody voted for the Nats. Nobody will um, um, admit to voting for the Nats. Someone asked, what, who are the Nats? Yeah, the National Party. The National Party, yeah. thank yeah. you. No, you can't find somebody who voted for the National Party in this country. Everyone But voted, they're in power somehow. But somehow they got elected. Yeah. yeah. So... So the sort of the gap between what was really happening and the kind of lie they allowed themselves to live, which in many ways was convenient because they had to do a little bit of work to get to the truth, Mm. is kind of what we're trying to close. And I think it's easy to close it with anger, but I think with anger, we're not going to get very far. And so for me, you know, if I come to you with reason and then you still push back, that's when when my anger kicks in. Mm. But I don't start the conversation with... uh, with fighting and with, mm. you know, I try to start the conversation with, do you actually understand that your wealth was built on black, almost slave labor? Mm. That you didn't earn what you think you earned. You, you know, you weren't, you were given privileges that the word privilege doesn't even begin to. Mm. And if that conversation opens up, then we can talk. But if it becomes a resistance of no, me, my, you know, mm. that that's when I feel exactly the same way. I feel the injustice. Denial, I suppose, is what I'm trying to say. I'm still a politician at heart. Yeah. I talk too much. Denial uh, is what enrages me. Mm. When someone tells you what happens, when happened, what when they tell you their experience, coupled with the fact that we have an education system now that tells the truth about apartheid, mm. when when people still want to deny that inequality exists because or race is is a predetermining factor in economic outcomes or birth mm. outcomes or whatever, that's when my blood gets boiling and then I start to or hiding behind. But I work hard. Yeah, as if doors didn't open themselves. Based Based on what you look like. As if black South Africans who were forced to do manual labor on behalf and wake up early in the morning and still do to this day on behalf of a people who were given a kind of a fake 
a, a fake mantle of hard work, mm-hmm. right? Uh, you know, uncompetitive work. Um, as if they weren't working hard. As if mm-hmm. for auntie who woke up in the morning at four to come to your house to clean your toilet so you could say she's part of the family but she's not mm-hmm. actually part of the family. Mm-hmm. As if she didn't work hard. Mm-hmm. Um, no, that does make my blood boil. So, but what what I find is a majority of South Africans on both sides are just they just want to understand each other, mm. and and sometimes their fears make it hard to understand each other. And I think the job of leadership is to appeal to people's better nature, not to appeal to their to their anger and to their disillusionment. Because I think anger is an easy place to go to, mm. but in America you you see what anger gets people gets you Trump, it gets you Brexit, yeah. it gets you all kinds yeah. of funny yana things. I think we're better than that, and we have to try to be better than that. Um, I've always been of this belief that one of the reasons we can't move forward is because we haven't actually agreed what history was. Yes. So I mean, I, I've been say we we like to say oh the education system oh the this oh the this. I mean, for me, my grandmother was paid in maize meal. Mm-hmm. What what are you saying? That is slave like labor. just as what are you saying? Yeah, she had seven children and you paid her in maize meal. Mm. Then you want to tell me you worked hard to get where you are? I, I <sighs> often hear apartheid apologists say things like, "Economic growth in the 1960s was higher in South Africa than ever." Ergo, this means the apartheid government. They built the economy on slave labor. It's like an American saying, "We were better off with slaves." Like and they were only measuring the a thought. small. And this. It's fresh breakfast traffic. Thank you, Rob. Busy. Love you lots, and we'll chat to you on Monday. Have a great hey, weekend. Love you guys too. See you then. Yeah. Thanks, Rob. It's 25 minutes after eight. We're hanging out with Lindua Mazibuko. It's famous Fresh Fridays. We're supposed to go to music, but we're having such a, a fat chat. Uh, those waiting for the music will forgive us. Uh, we're going to go back to our chat. Where were we? Um, I, I actually want to pull, pull us a little bit back into politics where they are today. Mm. Yes. People, um, I'm sure you're being eyed in in different industries to say, we want her. Mm. But there are a lot of people who are like, we still need her in the political space. Mm. What would need to change for you to come back? Because it's easy to say, join this one, join this one, join this one. But what would need to change in the entire political space for you to say, I'm back? And may I add to that? Yeah. I'm also going to ask you to put your neck on the line and say, if I did come back, this is where I'd go. Yes. But not the top three. Oh. oh, interesting choice. Yes. Okay. It's too obvious. Is it? <laughs> <laughs> the top three, I mean. Oh, you're yeah. right. Um, so, I, so for me, what has to change is why I started A Political Academy is more people like us from our generation, more women, more, you know, need to stand for office, right? It can't be, it can't be a... It can't be a job that's carried by the few, right? As a generation, mm. we need to stand up and run. Um, so for me, going back to parliament to fight the same fights with the same people in the same context, is that, that's not forward movement. Mm. So for me, my, my, my mission now is to see, find ways to encourage people who, who've got that passion for politics, but who don't know where to begin and who, mm. uh, who also need to do the things that I never did when I ran for office. You know, the, the deep leadership development in advance, the deep networks, the mentorship, all of the stuff I did in politics and after politics to do those things in advance so that they are mentally strong and they have self-awareness mm. and they have self-love and they have a, a connection to who they are and where they come from. So that we're not sending broken people into a broken system, but we're sending strong people into a system that they can repair. Right? Mm. That's, that's my mission right now. And that's what has to change for me to become a part of public leadership again. I'm committed to it. Mm. You know, I've looked at other... I've looked at other avenues for life. You know, I'm, I'm really loving my time outside of politics. But we were, you know, we were talking earlier. We love nice things. But <laughs> the private sector doesn't make all that much sense yeah. to me. Um, yeah. 
and I, I guess yet that speaks to you. No, and yeah. I've, you know, I've been privileged. My whole career was about things I cared about. It was about my passions. I had purpose. I had motivation. You know, based on on on, on a bigger picture, and to to narrow that picture then now down to maybe profits for one organization. Not that that's not a worthy cause. Mm. Is hard for me because I for me I see the whole. I see the whole tapestry and I want to be part of making it better. As briefly as possible, mm. what does a political a political academy do? So we run a one-year fellowship program for 25 people okay. in the Sadek region. And it's for people who've expressed a desire to either run for office in the near future or to make themselves available to be, you know, your minister's advisor or uh. your presidential advisor or your technical capacity in a political office. You know, the person who's been elected for five years, you're part of their team. And the reason I started it is because, you know, when I was at school, a lot of African diaspora students would come to my office hours to tell me, you know, that they watched my career. They'd love to know how they can run for office. You mm. know, they're a student from Zimbabwe. They've been mm. in the country for five years. Can they go home and run? What can they do? And I realized that I'd had a chip on my shoulder for a long time about the lack of people from my generation coming mm. into politics. But the truth is they don't know how. Yeah. Because in people's minds, it's the secret society, you know, where you've got to know the secret hand shake you've got to join a branch you've or got be to a work struggle way, have struggle credentials yeah. but we live on a continent where the average age is 19 it's not going to be the reality for much longer that you can only be in politics if you were in the struggle the people who are in the struggle are not going to be with us forever mm. so what are we doing to future-proof government against that sort of our founding leaders you know actually dying let's be honest so you know yeah for me it was about actually directing people who are already passionate about public leadership to the right organizations the right mentors the right people the right institutions you come back to politics today yeah outside of the top three which party might you look at wow um I'm really interested in, in, in what's happening in, uh, in Patricia DeLille's new party. I knew it! I, I knew it! I want to know what's, good. what's, what's there. Mm. <laughs> I knew it. You want to know what's good. <laughs> I want to know what's good. But in general, I'm interested in political parties that are sort of, non, sort of non-traditional. And, and yeah. in the sense sure. that they're yeah. not, the, you know, as you say, the top three. Mm. Um, and I'm also interested in what the Constitutional Court is going to do in terms of ruling independent. Mm-hmm. I want to run as an independent. I'd, oh, yes. I, I, I'd, I want to run as an independent And I think yes. we should all be able to do that. Because for me, the, the politics as a political party, entering politics through a party, is kind of becoming outdated. Yes, it is. Yeah. Because parties are like churches. Mm-hmm. You know, if, if everyone doesn't agree, it's war. But everyone is never going to agree. There's mm. always going to be factions. There's always going to be people who differ. Mm. And unless there's maturity enough in that organization to accept that difference and to caucus, to have a black caucus, to have a freedom caucus, all these things they have in the United States, which, I mean, they're not helping them either. Mm. Political mm. parties, <laughs> I think, as a concept, are increasingly toxic mm. because, you know, your job, your, your goal is to get to the top so you can control the whole body. Absolutely. Whereas we, what we need are leaders who've got their own values, their own identity, their own sense of what they stand for mm. and who will vote with parties parties on an issue-by-issue basis and we'll be able to account to their electorates for that issue-by-issue vote. I think we need to park it for a bit and then when we do come back, we need to ask the really difficult questions that people are saying tea. 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 And she's not a tea girl. She she prefers coffee. I can tell you that much right now. 8.31, are you not entertained? (laughs) We're hanging out with Lindy Mazibuko, famous Fresh Fridays on Metro FM. Former politician Lindu Mazibugo is in the building. It's famous Fresh Fridays on Metro FM. 
She has a foundation. Uh, what, what, what do we call it? Um, so I run a, an organization called A Political Foundation, okay. and we started A Political Academy. How do people sign up? So we recruit every year um, in around June, July, and we start um, in uh, September, October, the okay. program. So we spend three months inviting leadership organizations to nominate people, um, tapping uh, people we believe you know would, would make great public leaders and asking them to apply. Sure. Um, and we encourage everyone to apply from throughout the Sadiq region. So this year we've got fellows from four countries, um, Zimbabwe, South Africa, Namibia, and even Zambia. Even our local politi- uh, political parties have sent people well they don't send them you apply as an individual oh. and the idea is that you've got your individual c- convictions right yes. you may be anc you may be da you may be FF, ff whatever it may be do they get along in class they are the most amazing human beings i've had the privilege to work with so we have yeah we have about six fellows who are who are working in amc anc governments maybe four who are working in da governments one who's running for the nfp mm. uh, a couple who work in government in other countries zimbabwe and namibia etc how long is the course it's nine months uh seven weekends long intensive weekends three nights and four days and it's guest speakers intergenerational dialogue with current and 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 past uh, leadership so um you know mentors from across the political spectrum because if you do these sort of internal party programs which we're not against and we, we have no mm. problem with but this is an additional program mm. but when you're in an internal party program you only meet the leadership from your own organization yeah. it's almost myopic mm. you yeah. never get a chance to yeah. interact with others and so you always see them as the enemy mm. and so we want to give them a chance to say you know we may not agree on the land fine mm. but actually you're not inhuman just because we disagree mm. on this one policy you're actually funny you're articulate and when we are standing opposite each other in parliament I'm still going to shout at you because mm. of your ideas but I'm not going to dehumanize you yeah. Do so you pay for the course? It's fully funded. The fellows have to pay um, 5,000 Rand for the whole year. It's an upfront fee. So um, and if people can't afford it, we are obviously able to waive it based on circumstances. Mm. But that money is just a commitment device. Yeah. What mm. we want is we want local South African citizens, organizations, companies to support and fund a program that will build the next generation yeah. of leaders instead of leaving that job only to political parties. Do you understand how much you're tempting me? Jeez. We can talk off air. I'll fresh. apply. <laughs> <laughs> yes. But it means that no long weekends available for me then is what we you say. We take every public holiday weekend. Youth okay. Day, mm. Women's Day. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. All We've right. just had a seminar this past weekend. Um, but it's a commitment, right? Sure. And uh, you know, a lot of people work very hard to put the program content together. Government leaders show up on a Sunday to come and address the fellows, right? Mm. And they should yes. be campaigning. Sure. Um, and it's incredible. And well done, though. Yeah. Well Jeez. done. Yeah. Thank you. So, what is the difference? Because you've been described as an academic mm. between an academic and a learned. Uh, or educated in yeah but, and and I asked this specifically because there was a day that um I was having a conversation around oh, oh Robert Mugabe is the most educated mm. president what is your perception of that because we are in a time right now where education is yes for a go yeah. but there are people who can make waves without the degree absolutely but I don't believe in saying I am a good leader just because I'm me and I have no desire or interest in, ad- in advancing myself. So if you've been in leadership for a particular time and you haven't advanced yourself beyond where you were at the beginning, why should we trust you with another term in office? Right? So I don't believe in leaders who think they've got all the answers and they don't need to expand their minds and mm. they don't need to, you know, push themselves further. I'm not an academic. You know, the United States has a, a system where they invite experts to come and teach. It's really quite special. So mm. you've got you've got tenured professors, you've got PhDs and whatnot, and then you have professors of the practice, people mm. who have done practice work and they come in. And then you have fellows like me who are subject area experts and we, you know, come in once a year for a month and you teach. So 
it's it's that system that values both higher education, academic learning, and also life experience mm. that enables people to have teachers, a variety of teachers who bring together a whole lot of streams of learning. So I, I believe in education. We all do and we all should. Mm. But if it doesn't mean that if you only have a matric or if you don't have a matric that you're not fit to be a leader. But I believe you're not fit to be a leader if you think you don't need to learn more. Yeah. Exactly. If you wake up in the morning and you say, I've got all the answers. I have all the experience I'll ever mm. need. I'm here now mm. and I'm just going to keep popping on about how many years I've been doing this and not actually so it's focus endeavor on to better myself. Yes, so whether you're like bettering yourself through peer learning, leadership, uh, whether you're bettering yourself by going to university, finishing your matric, whatever it is, you've got to show the people who pay you a million rand or two million rand a year that mm. you're committed to making decisions, mm. reading annual reports, doing detailed work uh, from a point of view of I don't know everything and I'm ready to learn. Taking, a teachable spirit. Yes. Politicians must have a teachable spirit. I like that. We're hanging out with uh, Linduwe Mazibuko. This is Famous Fresh Fridays on Metro FM. Good morning, Brumpy. Yeah, how are you? Well, good. Thank you for holding, Brumpy. Thanks for your patience. What's on your mind? Okay, you know what? As I'm listening to Linduwe, I just feel like, you know what? I, uh, uh, um, I just feel like you need to talk to Metro FM, a manager, to recruit her in into radio. She's just opinionated with a good radio voice. I feel like, you know, we need to have her every day on the radio. Brampi, That's my compliment. Thank you so much. <laughs> thank you. I appreciate it. Thank you, Brampi. You Hello. are a brilliant public speaker. Hello, Ayanda. How are you doing? Hi. Hi, T. How are you? We're good. Um, Miss Linduwe. Hi, Ayanda. How are you doing? I'm okay. How are you? I'm good. Thank you very much. So I just wanted to say you are such an inspiration, especially to a young black woman like me who is an international relations and political science graduate. Aha! That's awesome. unfortunately, I mean, I graduated in 2015 and have been unemployed for the longest time. So... You serve as a real inspiration to say, you know what, as a young black girl, I can do this. As much as I keep applying and whatnot, and it's not working out right now, listening to you today has just uplifted me a lot. Mm. So thank you so much. I mean, I'd love to talk to you about your options because I think sometimes in South Africa we're caught in this kind of vocational training mindset mm. uh-huh. where I think if I did international relations, all I can do is go and work at Durko. Yes. Mm. But international yes. relations is also about defense policy. Yeah. It's about climate policy. Yes. It's about cri- private companies which are giving to international programs that are alleviating like climate change. Yeah, you know? they need mm. a mind mm. like yours. Mm. Gates Foundation, you know. So sometimes, or you know, or the, you know, the Obama Foundation, there's lots of organizations outside government or sort of peri-government uh-huh. organizations that are doing the kind of work that you might be passionate about. So, um, you know, drop me an email, academy at apolitical.co. Let me see if we can find a way to point you in the right direction. Your point is think out the box. Yes, think, and and we can help you think out the box because I think sometimes our education system fails us, you know. Mm -hmm. We're stuck in the kind of 19th century model where you go to law school, you become a lawyer. You go to business school, you do business, right? But there's actually so many other ways to apply your learning, but also your passion, Mm -hmm. like what you care about. Mm -hmm. I went into politics, I was a musician before I went into politics. And you didn't sing for us. Where was I going? You didn't sing. No, I'm never, I'm not (laughs) singing. (laughs) If you don't sing, this interview's over. Thank no, you. <laughs> We're hanging out with Linduwe Mazibuko. This is Metro FM. What's the email address again, Linduwe? Academy at apolitical.co or academy at apolitical.foundation. Otherwise, either of them works. When we come back, why did she leave the DA? You left for Harvard amidst a massive cloud. You, you like almost Chuck Norris did. Things were burning <laughs> in the background and you're walking into Harvard. Yeah. Could we talk about that period? Yeah, that was hard. Um, like I knew I had, I had a, you know, I came to a fork in the road. Yes. Where 
first of all, and you I decided mean, fork it. I'm going to Harvard. Yeah, I mean, uh, first of all, I think the, the the number one mistake was that the DA thought it could split the job of yes. leader mm. of the opposition mm. and leader of the party, mm. because in fact, what ends up happening is the person in parliament has more decision making power at national mm. level, and then if the person who isn't in parliament maybe has self esteem issues or they thought they were gonna, you know, we talked earlier about how somebody, how often people think that when you're in a position you'll uphold the status yes. quo yeah. yes. and your face will just cover up the fact that you're yes. upholding the status quo. Yes. So one of the things I had to reckon with was that, you know, there were people in the party who thought I was only running so that I could, I don't know, have a salary and a big office. They didn't mm. think I'd come and actually do any change, like implement the changes mm. I was promising to implement. So I think when my profile started to rise, it started to look like I was going to challenge for the party leadership. Why not? And and, and indeed, why not, right? Mm. So if that's the case, you know, that's the case. Let it be. But it, what it started to create was, you know, the kinds of frictions, you know, and intrigues that I I'd frankly don't want to get into on the radio. But I had a decision to make. Either in order to be able to do my job properly, I was going to run for party leader at 34 yes. with a personal life that was frankly coming undone mm. <laughs> uh, with my family kind of uh, vaguely resentful of the fact that they never see me or I was going to step back take time for myself mm. and use this decision point as an opportunity to actually do some personal development mm. and also just go out into the world and live you sure. know so yeah um, I you know I applied to a few universities um, I got into the Kennedy School and I missed the scholarship deadline because I was hospitalized briefly mm. and then I thought okay the decision's been made for me I'm not going anywhere and then I got an email from them saying you know because of your record in leadership we'd love to offer you a full ride if that you want to so take cool. it and I was like this wow. is it this is it was meant to be this is meant to be mm. what I'm this is what I've got to do mm. so yeah. what what could you or would you have done differently look just from a hindsight perspective in oh. terms of the journey that you did write yeah. because I don't think you leaving was a mistake no. and I think the timing in some way was was perfect yeah. but what could you have done differently while you were there? No, absolutely nothing. I, like mm. I wouldn't choose to do anything differently because it brought me to where I am. Mm. I mean I've alluded to some of the sort of ways I was in public that I wish mm. I had sort of done differently. I wish I'd been more vulnerable. Mm. I wish I had been kinder to myself. I wish I hadn't pushed myself so hard. Um, but I wouldn't have known to do that. I was I was 27 when I ran for office. You know? Wow. So hey. you're young and youth youth doesn't facilitate the kind of experience that enables you. You know, 2020 mm. vision is only hindsight. And mm. it can't be healthy to be stoic at such a young age. No, yeah. it's not healthy. It's not healthy. But the kind of politics we operate in right now requires the kind of stoicism where you put yourself second, third, fourth, last mm. yes. at all times. And that isn't to say you mustn't take your leadership role and your leadership responsibility seriously, you know. There's people in our society who've been partners in law firms at you know in their late twenties, or who've been CEOs in their late twenties, and have had to do really some heavy lifting. It's not to undermine the importance of the work or the importance of you being a young woman in that work, mm. but it's like if you're not taking care of yourself, you're mm. literally gonna you're gonna burn out at thirty, sure. and you'll be of no use to the world beyond mm. that. Mm. Your thoughts on land expropriation? With it or without compensation? It, I think it can happen with compensation, but I think we're not imaginative about it. Yeah. I want to know why we can't expropriate the land underneath the VNA waterfront and give it to a village in the Eastern Cape mm. so that every time it passes through, every time there's a sale, every time there's a dividend, they're getting part of that dividend. Yes. Sure. They don't have to build homes on it. Yes. Yeah. They can actually could uplift their village. Could be an in, investment. Yeah, it mm. can be. In, so why... Why do some people get investment property and others don't? Mm. Also, you know, I'm really sick of this whole the economy will come undone if we don't have full ownership of land. So I spend half my time in the UK now. 
there's, it's not possible to own property in London. Mm. London is owned by a family called the Groveners, sure. a wonderful philanthropic family. They've owned it for generations. In fact, 1% of the population in the UK owns about 90% of the land. Mm. What you get is you get what's called a leasehold. And mm. London property is safe as houses. You buy, you buy the rights to the walls and the, you know, the fireplace mm. and the bedroom and the bathroom, but you don't own the land underneath. And you know what happens? Banks will lend you against that house. Yes. They will, the, the value of that house appreciates, not because you own the substructure, mm. but because it's in a city where people want to be. Right? Mm. So the property market still exists even if you don't own the property underneath. So why can't we have a similar situation? Why yeah. can't a, a Look village at other in, in, mm. in the free state own the eastern seaboard, right, in Cape Town, where through generations of being deprived capital, they have been unable to actually sort of vest the value of the property that they lived on. So why can't they be allocated property elsewhere? They don't have to necessarily live on, but that they can earn the dividends from mm. and uh, you know have a trust that supports their community with et cetera, et cetera. I don't think we're creative enough about land. And I think we allow people on the extremes of the debate, the right wing, there will be no economy, we will be Zimbabwe unless I can mm. own every 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 grain of sand under my house, right? And the people on the far left were like, no, take it away without compensation, it's time for revenge. I think there's an answer There's a healthy middle. In the yeah. middle, yeah. Why should people go vote or is freedom having the choice to not go vote? <coughs> I think people should vote um, because they can. Mm. So my father died in 92. He mm. saw Dada released from prison, but he never got to vote. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that's really interesting about the electorate in South Africa is there's a straight line correlation between your age and the likelihood that you're registered to vote. So the older you are, at, at 65 and 70, at, at the age of 65 and 70, registration rates are over 100%. Mm. Some people who've passed away are still registered. You go down to 18 to 24 and it's like 15, 20, 30% right, registration rates. And it's because people have a different experience of what it's like to be able mm. to vote and what it's like not to be able to vote. So, so for me, one of the things you should do as a country, as a citizen of a country that's only 25 years old, mm. is you must vote. That's your right. But you must use your vote strategically. Like you mustn't throw it away, uh, and vote based on who you think is prettiest or who you'd like to have a beer with. Do the work. Mm. Mm. Do the research. Be an active citizen. Um, but also vote strategically. Realize which province you're in, which city you're in, mm. and how your vote might be able to push, you know, a party over the line and, and start to and start to influence change, right, mm. in your situation. So I, I think you should vote because you can and because a lot of people fought for you to be able mm. to, but I think long term that's not a good enough reason. You should also vote because you are also participating as a citizen in between elections to ensure that the quality of people who are running at the next election are better than the last. Absolutely. We are out of time, but before we let you go, what does Linduwe Mazibugo fear? What do I fear? Yeah, boy. Like most people, I fear death. <laughs> I fear it. I fear it, you know. Um, um, I fear losing the people I love. Mm -hmm. I fear uh, losing my mother in particular. I, mm. I fear the loss of time. Sure. Mm. Um, yeah, I fear, you know, I, I fear living a life that doesn't feel like it's got any purpose in mm. it. So, you know, I worry about the oblivion of doing something that doesn't matter to me just yes. because I have to. Yes. Mm. Um, but like most people, I fear that black, that black dark place that happens when you're not on this planet anymore. Mm. Uh, I think that's what keeps us alive. Absolutely. Is an, is a gnawing fear of death. Yo, mm. 
We need you for another no, five hours. No, we are hours. moved. We are moved. <laughs> we are Wasn't moved. Enough. We need you for another five hours. I'm yeah. serious. Can we maybe do this for an internet show? <laughs> something. I'm here. Look, there's very few people in the world that I would do a 5.45 a.m. call time with. Thank you. The weekend I have a board meeting. <laughs> it's just not, it's not normal. <laughs> Thank so you so, so it much. It was such a pleasure to be here. Um, Ladies and yeah. gentlemen, Lindwe Mazibugo is about to leave the building. If you'd like to get a hold of her, uh, her details are online. Google Lindwe Mazibugo. We're out of here, leaving mm-hmm. you with... We survived the first week. No, you survived. We've been here. Oh, <laughs> <laughs>